Today's reading comes from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Have you ever, have you ever acquired a technical knowledge about a subject and then experienced it in real life for the first time? Um, have you ever acquired a book knowledge or an academic knowledge? Um, have you ever acquired a book knowledge or an academic knowledge about something and, and then got into it and did well until about something and, and then got into it and did well until you hit some hurdles or experienced uh, un, unforeseen difficulties and discovered, oh, I knew about this, but I didn't truly understand it. Have you ever said to yourself, I knew, I knew about this type of problem, I learned about this type of person, I learned about this type of sickness or disease, uh, but I didn't really understand it until now. And then you're in that situation and, and you're thinking, well, what do I do? How do I respond? I read the textbook, but in real life, how do I respond? Getting an MD is one thing, but learning how to be a doctor is another thing. So James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. How did Solomon become known as Solomon the Wise to the Jews? He knew, even as a young man, that in order to be king, uh, he needed more than authority and power. He needed more than wealth and resources. He needed more than even the best counselors and advisors. He needed wisdom. That's, he, he knew he needed wisdom the most. And uh, now we spent, it in, we, we spent the entire fall looking at the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. Uh, you may remember this. If, if, if you missed it or if you, you're new, you can go to our website and find the Proverbs series audio recordings. But we define wisdom from a biblical perspective as skill for making good choices. Wisdom is skill for making good choices that glorify God in any situation. Now, you remember last week when we opened up the letter of James for the first time, James told us God intends to mature and develop us through our trials so that we will be, as James said in verse 4, lacking in nothing, lacking in nothing. So the first thing you need for adversity is wisdom. The first thing you need for adversity is wisdom. And God wants to give it to you. That's the good news. God wants to give you wisdom if you'll ask him for it. We're going to talk about the nature of God as it relates to how God gives. Then we're going to look at how we actually ask for things. And then we're going to talk about uh, how the Christian learns to trust a giving God. So those are the three ideas for today. God's nature in giving. 
but our nature in asking. And then finally, the Christian's nature in learning how to trust. God's nature in giving to us makes us actually want to ask for more things from him. As you discover the nature of God in how he gives, you will want to keep on asking him for things. More importantly than talking about the nature of wisdom, let's talk about the nature of God. Let's start there. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The scholar Alec Motyer, in his commentary on this letter, he said, James teaches us first that God's nature is to give. In the original language that this was written, the phrase went something like this, God who gives simply to all without insult. God who gives simply to all without insult. Now, I think we take for granted just how important this is, what James is trying to communicate to us. He's saying a beautiful thing. God gives simply to all without insult. He's saying that God is not a passive, aggressive giver. That God does not give to us out of spite. God does not give to us in order to control the dynamics of the relationship like some parents give to you or friends give to you or like some wealthy donors give to a politician. Their generosity, quote unquote, is conditional. Have you ever been given to that way? Has someone ever given you a gift or paid for your tuition or bought you a car or got you a job and you felt like there were strings attached? You felt like in their generosity they were holding something over you and didn't it make you feel icky? You don't know what to do. You don't know if you should take the gift or not. You know that in taking the gift, you're agreeing to unspoken expectations and demands from the giver. And James is saying God doesn't do that. He gives simply to all without insult. God is eager to give. When God gives, he does not guilt us. We just need to ask him. Eugene Peterson put the whole verse this way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and, he won't be con- and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Isn't that refreshing? Now, when God gives his wisdom, he is, in essence, giving to you himself. I have found in my life that, that the people who have given me precious advice at a critical moment in my life where I didn't know what to do, some kind of a bond formed between us. Even, even if I haven't seen them for years, that person is special to me because they spoke wisdom to me in a moment that I needed it the most and I didn't know what to do. In a sense, when you get someone's wisdom, you're getting them. You're getting who they truly are. And in many ways, you're getting what they've suffered through. They're teaching you out of their own suffering. They're teaching you out of their own experience. It's not just that they're imparting knowledge, like in a lecture, a classroom. They're imparting wisdom. 
They're giving to you who they are and what they have learned as a result of their struggles and experiences. And that is how God gives. Look at Proverbs chapter two. We actually looked at this a few months ago. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't just give you something like a commodity. In giving you wisdom, he's guarding you. In giving you wisdom, he's watching over you like a shepherd. In giving you wisdom, he's clearing the path for you so that you can walk through safely in life. Not only does God give by nature, but when you receive, you know God's nature. By receiving from God, you begin to understand the nature of God better. Jesus really hit on this in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, and he knew God the Father best because he was God the Son, he said to his disciples, ask and it will be given to you. This is famous, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he went on to say, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, he wasn't, being in, he wasn't trying to be insulting. He was being realistic. He's saying, if you who are evil know how to give good stuff to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see that? Just like David said in Psalm 23, what's the result of this intimate relationship where you ask God for things like wisdom and he gives it to you? David said in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. That's how God takes care of me. I always have more than enough. And we think about God's wisdom, think about it. His word is the communication of his wisdom, the Bible. General, uh, specific revelation, theologians call it. His word, his Holy Spirit, right? the third person of the Trinity that indwells his saints guiding them, praying for them when they don't know what to pray for. So his word, his written word, the Holy Spirit indwelling you that helps you interpret and understand and listen to his word. And then finally, as we pray, as we said, we believe in the Apostles' Creed, the fellowship of the saints. Where are you getting all this wisdom from? Where are you learning how to gain God's wisdom from his word? From one another. We're learning wisdom from one another as we walk together, looking at the Word of God, being indwelled by the Spirit of God. And when you look at all of that, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, you say, my cup overflows. Abundant wisdom from a generous God. So as you learn the nature of God in the way that He gives, as you ask and you receive, you want to keep asking Him for more. Once you are comfortable with a person and you know that they're not giving to you out of spite, they're not giving to you out of manipulation or control, you're comfortable asking. You can go back to that person and say, hey, I actually could really use your help with this. I'm going through this and I'd love to know what you think. I know you mentioned I could always come to you. Well, you know, the car broke down again. I, I, can you help me out? You keep going back because they have proven to you not only, are they, they're not only are they generous, they're gracious. There are no strings attached. And that's the way God is. And so when you learn that, 
When you experience that, you keep going back to him. You keep running to him. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. But here's the age-old problem. Same for us as it was for the first people who read this letter 2,000 years ago. James understood that our nature, our nature, put aside the nature of God for a second, our nature in asking for stuff is to assume our motives for why we ask for things and why we give things to one another. That's our problem, is when we ask God for stuff, for things, we assume that he thinks the way we think, and we ask with our own reasons, not his reasons. James knew that his fellow believers, especially in their trials, would struggle with doubt. Trials is extremely, trials is when your doubts really come to the surface. So he says in verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubt. You see that? Ask in faith with no doubting. Beneath the prayer request, you have to examine the condition of your heart. Your mouth utters a request, what's in your heart? Why are you asking for that thing? Beneath the prayer request, examine the condition of your heart. Don't just ask God for things. Ask yourself, why am I asking for this? As David said in Psalm 86, we read it for our call to worship, give me an undivided heart or give me a united heart that I may fear your name. May the outward request of my mouth reflect the inward condition of my heart. That's a united heart. What you're asking for and what your heart wants are the same thing. That's what David prayed for, and that's what James is saying. Ask in faith without doubting. James is saying, don't be stingy now. Don't be stingy with God. He's generous. Now, you be generous in what you're asking of him. Don't be stingy. Ask in full faith without doubting. Don't be stingy. Trust him. Truly trust him when you ask him for something. Scholars agree that what James means here by faith is more than intellectual belief. It's not intellectual belief. It's not like that's a problem. We need that. James is talking about trust. When he says ask in faith, James is saying, do we trust him? You believe in God? Good. Do you trust him? This was ancient Israel's problem. James is, this is such a Jewish letter, right? It's such a Jewish letter. He's writing to Christians. First Christians were Jewish. James is Jewish. And, and it, it, he's, he's relying on Old Testament wisdom. He's relying on what, what scholars call the wisdom tradition. There are plenty of writings outside of the Old Testament scripture, scriptures that talked about wisdom. James knew that, and he knew the Old Testament prophets. And here was the thing the prophets kept saying. You don't trust God. You believe in him, but you don't trust him. You know that there is one God, but you won't trust him. And the proof was they, would, they kept worshiping other gods. They kept relying on stronger nations to protect them and help them. And they wouldn't trust God. They believed in him, but they wouldn't trust him. And that was the problem that God had with them. But we have to see that God's wisdom is a necessity in our trials. It's, it's more important than all the practical things we need. You got a list of things that you ask God for, especially when you're struggling. You have a list, you know, right, you know, you know your budget, you know what the bills are, you know what tuition is, you know how much it costs to fix the transmission in your car, you know what your parents need to provide care for them, you know what your kids need 
uh, you know, to, to you, know, you know, you know what the doctor bills are going to be. You have facts. You have all the information. And all of that's important. And you ask God about all this stuff, and that's great. That's great. Ask him. But at the top of the list, James is saying, put wisdom. Wisdom's the most important thing you need. And that's the genius of God maturing us and developing us in our trials specifically. Because in our trials, we're stripped bare. In our, in our trials, we realize we can't rely on all the things we're used to relying on. Trials strip you down to nothing. You're vulnerable, and you're finally willing to ask for the intangibles. You're finally willing to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, I need, I need help. That's the genius of God maturing you through adversity. He's waiting until you're willing to listen and you need help and you know you need help. See that God's wisdom is a necessity and ask for it. Ask for it in faith, trusting him. Don't assume the motives by which we give gifts to one another with strings attached. Assume that God gives, as James has told us, generously to all without reproach. Because doubting leads to instability. Doubting leads to instability. Verse 6, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is tossed about, driven and tossed about by the wind. Without faith, you will be aimless like a wave. A wave is moved around by the direction and the force of the wind. So without faith, we are aimless in our adversity. We are moved and manipulated by popular opinion, by our emotions, especially by our fears, by our temptations, things that tempt us and lure us, anything really. I mean, we'll be moved and manipulated by anything if we are without faith in our trials. And that's the thing, when you're looking at the waves, blink and it's not the same picture, right? You take two pictures of the same seascape, take two pictures a millisecond apart and the waves have moved. And that's you, without faith in adversity. Anything can move you. Anything can manipulate you. We cannot possess wisdom while at the same time lacking faith. We can't have both. He goes on to say in verses 7 and 8, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. To say somebody was double-minded, it literally meant double-souled. The word was double-souled, a divided soul. I mean, we don't think much of that, but think about Voldemort. He splits his soul, and every time he splits his soul, he becomes less human. A divided soul, a soul split in half, as opposed to a united soul, an undivided heart. A unified heart, a pure heart, as David prayed for. You see, a doubting heart is a divided heart because you're torn between what God wants and what you want. 
between what God wants and what everybody else around you wants. To go on, he says, you're unstable in all your ways. This literally meant a vacillating person. Scholars say, a vacillating person, like a fan. You're looking this way because you want this thing. You're looking that way because you want that thing. You're telling this person, this is what I will do for you. And you're telling this person, this is what I'll do for you. Like a great politician. A vacillating person. I want you to think about Aaron Burr, or at least the version of Aaron Burr as he is portrayed in the recent Hamilton biography that was turned into a popular Broadway musical about Alexander Hamilton. Think about Aaron Burr and how he was a person less committed to truth, less committed to character and moral integrity, more committed to what benefited him in the moment. And that is, James is saying that is what we are when we ask for God, doubting him. We are a divided soul. We do not know what we want. And here's the thing. God sees a divided heart. You can have a divided heart and get very far in the world. You can get what you want. You can make what you want. You can move forward and be very outwardly successful. God sees your divided heart. He knows that you're weighing the options before you're willing to trust him. You're trying to figure out what's my best move. I'll ask God, but I'm holding out on him because I want to see if there's a better way to look at this situation. Maybe, there's, maybe what I really want is attainable, and so I don't, I'm not going to ask God. Or I'm not going to ask him wholeheartedly. That's what James is saying. You're a divided person. And now James is saying, well, if you're a divided person, why would God give you anything? He knows you're not going to listen to him with what you get from him. Why would he give you wisdom? He knows you're going to do what you want to do anyway. You think God's holding out on you. But he knows you don't really trust him. So why would he give you wisdom? Make a decision. If you're waiting for the waves to calm down in your life before you're fully ready to trust him, you may never trust him. I don't know that the waves are ever going to calm down. If you're waiting for a crystal clear sea to give yourself to God, to really finally trust him, you may never get there. Make a decision. Both feet in. Take a deep breath. All in. Now, you may be thinking, well, I can't do that. I cannot fully trust him. Okay. The nature of the Christian is, unlike everybody else in the world, the nature of the Christian is to have the ability to trust God with a new heart, from a new heart. The Christian has the ability to trust God with a changed heart, a purified heart. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in keeping with what James is saying, uh, this isn't actually very complicated. Ask God for a new heart. Ask him for a new heart. Ask him for a trusting heart, a God-centered heart. How do you get a new heart? By throwing yourself in with Jesus. 
Jesus' heart was pure. His heart was undivided. His heart was united. All the, the, the ways that David prayed for a unified heart and the ways we prayed for, pray for a pure heart, knowing that we fully can't achieve that, knowing that we often oscillate back and forth with what we want, that never happened to Jesus. He was always devoted to his heavenly Father completely, fully, all in, both feet, all the time. Even when things turned deadly for Jesus, he never weighed his options. He fully trusted. He never vacillated. So, so to know Jesus Christ is to have the heart of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said earlier, when God gives you wisdom, he's in a sense giving you himself. When you throw yourself in with Jesus, you get Jesus. And by getting Jesus, you get, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, which is not the same as the wisdom of the rest of the world. To know Jesus is to have his heart. It's to have a trusting heart. It's to be wholly devoted to God the Father no matter what things look like on the waters. How do we know that God will give us this new heart if we ask him for it? The Apostle Paul told us in Romans 8 that God who did not spare his own son, this is how God gives. This is the nature of God in giving. God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will God not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? This is why Paul could say in another place, all things are yours. Stop bickering. All things are yours. Stop fighting. James is essentially saying in Jesus, all things are yours. So ask him for wisdom to get you through this. You see? Ask God for a new heart if you don't think you have one. Ask him for a trusting heart so that you trust him. And you do that, you do that by going completely in with Jesus. Do you already have a new heart? I believe I do. By his grace alone, thank you, not by anything I've done. Do you believe you have a new heart? Awesome. Now ask him for wisdom. And he'll give it to you. The first thing you need for your adversity is wisdom. We're going to talk about our trials for two more weeks, so we're halfway through. James is going to make us sit on trials for a little while. But know that wisdom is the first practical thing you need for them. God wants to give you wisdom. He's a generous father who grants us what we ask of him. In faith. See that his wisdom is a necessity for your struggles and trust that he will generously give it. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess to you that we want many things uh, that our hearts are divided. Uh, we praise you for our Savior Jesus Christ whose heart was always pure, 
who, whose, who, whose outward requests always reflected an inward purity to love you with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. Father, we ask uh, for some of our friends for the gift of faith to fully and complete you, completely for the first time trust you. And for some of us, we ask for perseverance to continually trust you, to ask you for wisdom, and to be led by your loving guidance. Amen.